About three years ago, I finally went and saw A Star is Born. Now, I saw the new version simply because it had Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga in it. And everybody had prepared me. You know, this is a tragedy. This movie is a tragedy. There's, there's really nothing lovely about it. And I just did not realize how hopeless that movie is. It wrecked me for days. The word for hope in Latin is sperare. And to be without hope is desperare, where we get our word despair. Today we're going to be talking about despair in the midst of this sermon series we titled Overcoming. If you missed Stacy's sermon last week, I highly encourage you to listen to it where she gave a powerful word about how God is an overcoming God, even of those most tender places within us, those silent tears. So how do we do this overcoming? How do we care for ourselves when we're in a place of despair or for those that are around us who are in these places of just tragedy? It seems like that some people's situations are so bleak that they literally do not have the emotional strength to look for a way out. So we're going to read today a text that I did not realize was a text about despair, but the Spirit illumined that for me, and I pray that it does for you as well. And this is from Matthew's Gospel, and it's the story about John the Baptist in prison. Hear now the word of our Lord. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. John the Baptist got imprisoned early in the gospel story. It seems almost sudden that he is an Advent text preaching, prepare the way of the Lord, and then he finds himself in prison. Herod didn't like the things that he was saying. Herod was the ruler at the time. A lot of people were troubled by what he was saying because he was making these proclamations about the Messiah being near. And this is what he said about the Messiah. He said the Messiah would bring a winnowing fork and would clear the threshing floor, separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff would be thrown to the side and burned. He then told Herod that he couldn't sleep with his sister-in-law. So needless to say, John the Baptist had this like super low approval rating by most of the leaders in the area. So they put him in prison. He wasn't just put in prison, like a nice stroll into prison. He was bound, that's what the scripture tells us, which means that they took chains and they would have wrapped them around his wrists and then they would have put them around his feet and those chains would have been tied to a wall. 
He would have been in some type of room that was dimly lit. There was no windows. There was no bathroom. If you were in good standing with the prison guards, then they would let your friends and family come to feed you because the prison didn't provide that for you. Imagine what John must have been thinking. He gets thrown in prison. It couldn't have come as a surprise. I mean, he knew that he was saying things that people were not liking. He had to have been expecting it. And so I wonder if at first John was like, this is all part of the plan. That plan that his mother Elizabeth had told him about since he was little and told him that she had met Jesus even when he was still in his mother's womb and that John had leapt within her and and just story, imagine night after night, Elizabeth just telling her son, John, you won't believe what this Messiah is gonna do. This child that was born as your cousin, he is going to change the world. So I imagine John, those first several weeks laying in prison and just smiling, thinking the sovereign Lord comes in power and rules with a mighty arm. The Messiah is here. People are repenting and it's about to go down. But then day after day, the only news that John is getting about this Messiah is that he took a three-day trip into the wilderness to go spend some time with God. And then he came back and started proclaiming the same message that John had been saying. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Can he come up with something new? But then what comes next is not at all what John thought was, was supposed to happen. Instead of Jesus going to confront those in power, he's hanging out with those on the margins. He's hanging out with the sick and the paralyzed. Instead of Jesus going into the city center and like calling out Rome, on how awful they are doing. Oh no, Jesus finds a quiet hillside and then begins to say things like, love your enemies. I imagine John's expectations for what the Messiah was supposed to do began to crumble. Doubt crept in. This is not the way the story is supposed to go. John begins to have his hopes crushed, his dreams perplexed. That cold stone at first that gave him strength as a martyr, suddenly it was very uncomfortable and the ache of sleeping on that rock, it had to have led him to begin to despair. Is there going to be a way out? And so one day when some of his friends come to bring him food, now do you hear it differently? Are you, can you please ask Jesus for me? Are you the one who was to come? Or are we supposed to wait for another? We know what Jesus thinks about John. In the gospels, it says that Jesus said, there is no one greater born of a woman than John. He held him in high esteem. And so I have to believe when those disciples brought back that question to Jesus, that he hung his head 
his shoulders slumped. It wasn't anger. It wasn't grief. I think it was utter disappointment. Not at John. Utter disappointment that this world is so broken that a good person, his cousin, who had the most amazing ministry and did so much sacrifice, was coming to this end. And so while the scripture doesn't tell us, I have to imagine there was a long pause when Jesus heard this question from his cousin, John. And then he responds and he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. When John was told these words, we're not told how he reacts. The story just ends there. Later, we find out how he dies, but we're not told what happens in that in-between stage. But we have to know what these words would have meant to John because he knew his Bible. He had memorized much of the Bible. And so he would have remembered the words of the prophet Isaiah when he spoke of the Messiah that was to come. Jesus tells John, reframe your expectations. The same words that you read in Isaiah that said, I would come with a winnowing fork. Well, guess what? They also said in the same breath, comfort. Oh, comfort my people. The same Messiah that Isaiah said would rule with a mighty arm. Isaiah said in the same breath, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord, they shall renew their strength. So can despair be overcome by us? Mm, I'm not sure that's what scripture paints. One of the keys of overcoming despair is accepting the place that you find yourself in and then hoping that God can do something better for tomorrow. You see, the events that lead us to feel despair, they're not fair. John the Baptist gave up so much, sacrificed so much. The fact that he ended up imprisoned for the way he was, for what he did, and then had such an awful end to his life, it wasn't fair. God never promises us fair. We live in a broken world, and so guess what, y'all? Life will break sometimes. When it does, though, we need to reframe our expectations and realize what God can do in that place of despair. The past will not be changed. All of those could'ves, should'ves, would'ves, all those do is drag us down. Isaiah tells us, Put your hope in the Lord, not in ourselves or others. It is those who hope in the Lord that will renew their strength. 
We sang of this earlier when we sang that song, Broken Vessels, and the Apostle Paul, he writes it like this. He says, we have this treasure in titanium jars. Nope. We have this treasure in clay jars. Clay jars break, y'all. So that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not belong to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Because of the extraordinary power that belongs to God, not to us, there is always a way out. There is always something to hope in and for. So how do we overcome despair? We first embrace that there are going to be times of despair in our lives that aren't fair. And so we need to reframe our expectations. But friends, God says, I'm going to jump into that pit of despair with you. It will be my will. It will be my strength. It will be my faithfulness that gives us a hope for tomorrow. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, it's so easy to say these words, but I pray that myself included, that we might feel them in our very being, that you are an overcoming God. Even in the worst of times, great is your faithfulness. Amen.